it went straight down the middle. Then it started to hook. Well, let's move into the 1995 <laughs> Nabisco Shore Championship rounds of 69, 75, 71, 70. Uh, three under par, and uh, I know it was the biggest check you made, $127,500. That was yes. nice. It's a little bigger than the 8000 that I had. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, it was, uh, it, was, uh, it was an interesting week. I started the week, you know, I'd never played the course before. And ironically, a, a, kind of a funny story, we were playing in, I think it was Phoenix, the week before, and there was a group of us on a little puddle jumper and flew into Palm Springs, and there were several players, including Joanne Carner, and she was on there, and I remember her, they were, you know, I was asking them about the course, and they were telling me things about it, and Joanne said, if you ever have the lead, you know, it's the way she said, if you ever have the lead on 18, on the last day, aim at the palm trees on the right, I'm like, oh, yeah, whatever. I didn't think anything much about that, so off yeah. I go. And you went a little far ahead of you then, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he, I wish I could uh, imitate her voice better, but it's, uh, it, it was to know her and, and how she said it, it was, it was pretty funny. So I, I go out and I, I start playing the course, and I was really struggling and in the rough around the greens, I just didn't have that shot. So I called a really good friend of mine, Ann Kane, who uh, is a golf instructor down now down at the World Golf Village down there uh, at their PGA Tour facility. And uh, she, <laughs> I said, Ann, I cannot hit this shot. So she went through. She goes, Okay. She told me how to hit it. She said, You just got to leave the club in the ground and just accelerate. Just leave the club in the ground. And I worked and worked and worked on that shot. And so. She also sent me her yardage book when she went through Q school there. So I had her yardage book. I mean, I had everything. Mm. And I went into the week going, okay, I'm not the best ball striker. I'm not the best potter. I don't hit it the furthest. Uh, I don't have the best short game. But the one thing I can do is have the best mental game here this week. And that was my goal. And so I, I went into the tournament, and every every night I wrote down how I was feeling and, you know, did all my stats. And so, you know, the first uh, round, you know, I played pretty well. And it was very, very windy and cold, too. So I was I was really lucky that, uh, you know, it was like a two or three club wind all day. So I felt really good with what I had, had done. So later that evening, I, I called a friend that I was having dinner with later in the week. And uh, she... Uh, and a friend, another friend, they, uh, one of them had a dream that I won the tournament and I'm like, wow, you know, so all these little things are starting to come together. Uh, so anyway, I go through the, the next, uh, day and I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to stay on the leaderboard. That is all I'm trying to do. Well, actually, I'm sorry. I'm really, I'm not leaderboard watching. I'm trying to make the cut, even though I shot three under, I mean, I'm just, just get out there and play, do your best middle game. Just, you know, and just see, make the cut, make sure you stay on the leaderboard, whatever. And, you know, come Sunday, you know, here I am. And I'm not watching the leaderboard. I know exactly where I stand, of course, going into the day. But I, um, uh, I teed off and just kind of 
did not watch the leaderboard. And I birdied. I remember getting around to the back nine because I was playing pretty good, you know, nothing special. But I birdied 15 and then made a great par save on 16. And I really didn't know. Like I said, I wasn't watching the leaderboard. But on 17, I made about a 20, 25 footer for birdie. And the crowd just went crazy. And I knew at that point because they didn't stop clapping and, and yelling and uh, something's up and then I they, they take us in a cart ride to the next tee box and the guy driving my cart said well you're in the lead now I'm like god why did he tell me that <laughs> 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 so uh but I remember um getting on the tee box and I hear Joanne Carner's voice yeah, if yeah. you ever have the lead on 18 aim at the, the palm trees on the right so sure enough uh I hit it to the right and Mark Rolfing is, is commentating and I can hear him. Oh, this is way right. Is <laughs> I can remember that <laughs> voice. And so then, you know, I have a really tough punch out cause I got to keep it under a limb over all the rough and not hit it too far either. Cause there's water. Yeah. Right. Uh, and I did not hit a good, good shot. Uh, I did get it out. And then my caddy never says a word to me. But he did. He says, you don't need to hit. I was I was going to hit a longer iron. He goes, let's just lay up and then just try to make, you know, um, par the hard way. Yeah. And anyway, long story short, I uh, I did lay up. I hit it on the green and uh, and two putted for bogey. So it was yeah. a good bogey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So that's kind of how. But, yeah, those are some of the, the little things that uh, I remember about that. So I was going to – I was waiting for you to, to – when you talked about your friend relating her dream to you, yes, I was waiting for you to say. And by the way, you hit it way right on eighteen. In <laughs> dream. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it was really funny. That, well, it was it was just funny because when I called them, they were like, "So what did you shoot today?" And I said, "You know, I shot uh, sixty nine And they're like, "No way!" And they just couldn't <laughs> believe it. And well, yeah. you know, we had a dream that you won the tournament. So, but yeah. For our listeners, I might we might also just recall a little bit about that that last round. You started four back of right. Tammy Green and right. three back of Nancy Lopez and Laura Davies. So, right. you know, to come from behind those three players, pretty fancy. Anyhow, uh, they all shot right. over par that day, and uh, you made uh, you shot uh, two under par seventy with a bogey on the last. So that was uh, right. that was a good right. comeback. Must have been well, a tough yeah. day. Yeah, yeah. The conditions were, you know, I, I think it was a little breezy. I had played with Laura the day before, and, you know, Laura hits at a mile. So, you know, I just I didn't even think of winning the tournament. I was just trying to make a good check, you know, try to do the best I could. And, you know, I just, like I said, on 17, I, I, I knew that they – the crowd behind us wasn't clapping a lot. You know, there wasn't a lot of roars or anything. And so early on there were, and then it just kind of, there weren't, but I wasn't really that focused on what was going on. So when I got to 17 and made that putt and the crowd just went crazy and usually, you know, they clap and whatever, and it's over, but they just, they just kept on and on and on. That's when I knew <laughs> something's up. And then mm. I, I found out. So, so did you take the, proverbial dip into Poppy's Pond? I did. Uh, what was interesting was 
it was the first year they had made the robe that they put on everybody. So that was oh. the first year. So uh, it is now over at the University of Georgia. Over They have a whole setup over there. So that's where it, it is. Oh, that's nice. Uh, which is actually across from Bubba Watson. Uh, I don't know if his master's jacket is over there. You know, they don't have a replica, but the, the trophy's over there. So we have uh, a couple of majors. And now Brian Horman. Uh, oh, that's hopefully right. he'll have something over there. But anyway, yeah. uh, I did take the, the jump in the, in the water. And uh, so, yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of fun. It was, you know, Dinosaur uh, had uh, passed away by the time I won. But, uh, yes, Amy Alcott is the one that started that tradition with Dinah. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, you've got to keep that tradition going. I guess if you're going to pick one player to start the tradition like that, <laughs> yeah. that's probably Amy, her, huh? Exactly. Yeah. Amy Amy uh, is a good one to start that, exactly. Yeah, yeah so just uh, for the record, uh, our listeners can't see this, but uh, our guest today, Nancy Bowen, is wearing a Georgia Bulldog shirt. Yes. And mentioning right. <laughs> Brian Harmon, fellow Bulldog, who in this year, 2023, as we're recording this, for those of you listening 50 years from now, he just <laughs> won the Open Championship. Uh, yeah, I, I thought about him while he was playing because nobody thought he would win, which was very much like me. Nobody, I mean, I would be the last person on that leaderboard that anybody thought would win the tournament. So, you know, yeah. just hang in there and keep working hard and things, things do happen. You never know. Yep. Yeah, that's right. Know. He wanted it uh, at Royal Liverpool, uh, a.k.a. Hoylake. Uh, let's come back to the Nabisco Dinosaur. Great history in that event. Uh, the first Colgate Dinosaur was played uh, in 1972. And this was when David Foster and Colgate Palmolive came on the scene to become a big, big sponsor of women's golf. And as we've talked to your peers and those that have come before you, Nancy, all would agree that that was very transformative for ladies golf. Oh, without a doubt. It was the biggest tournament. And to have those types of sponsors, and they stayed forever. You know, it wasn't like they were just in and out. They were there for a long time. And same with, you know, the Kraft Nabisco when they came on board, you know, they were there for a long time and it, it makes a big difference when you have a sponsor for a long period of time. And that actually what happened when craft came along is that kind of for the pro-am, all of the vendors and, and different people that they work with come to the pro-am and then they get together and they start their own tournament. So we have a lot of grocery stores, you know, like back when I was playing, we had uh, ShopRite, Safeway, uh, Wegmans, uh, Kroger. So, you know, as Ty Votaw used to say, everything's related to everything. <laughs> so uh-huh. uh, it really spun off a lot of other tournaments. Yeah, and, and women's golf, of course. The, the purses probably in 1970 were, uh, were paltry, uh, uh, probably under a million dollars. And by the time you got to 1980, prize money was, was $5 million. So it, it was... Mm-hmm. It really, really did change the game, and, and David Foster and Dinah Shore were very instrumental in that. Uh, so great history. It's too bad that uh, uh, the Dinah Shore is no longer in that it left Mission Hills recently, went to Texas. Right. I think the right. the new owners of that tournament will do a fine job. But it was your Masters, wasn't it? It was. It was, you know, everybody asked, you know, 
you know, what's, what's the uh, dinosaur like? And I'm like, it's the equivalent of the Masters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we both have the U.S. Open. We you know, Now they have the British Open, both of us, and the PGA and the LPGA Championships. But the craft and the Masters were definitely equals. Yeah. You know, as you look back at the history of the LPGA Tour, and I know this comes uh, uh, this comes well before you were on tour, but you go back to 1972, and I'm not sure I could find a more, I'll use the term again, transformative year for the tour in that not only did the did the Dinah Shore happen that year, uh, and by the way, who won it? Jane Blaylock, who we just visited, right? Mm-hmm. Jane yeah, right. with 27 wins, the most wins of anybody without a major, the most wins of anybody who isn't in the World Golf Hall of Fame. And then it was Jane Blaylock versus LPGA in 1972 as well. And what came out of that in terms of really changing the governance model for how the LPGA tour was run as a real business after that whole event. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, it's, it's interesting how when things happen, how it, it really can change the, the dynamics of how other things uh, start to, to move forward. But, you know, with the, with the Dinah being such a big tournament and, all the the people that are involved in the tournament and it's just amazing i think that we've been able to move as far as we have from those days when you know jane was on the tour and all the controversy uh around her situation and where we are today it's you know we're able to to get through it and, and move forward and you know it's uh we're in a good place and i think that 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 tournament is uh is key yeah and, yeah and now you know it has moved uh basically you know there's a lot of money behind it so we have to be thankful for that you know absolutely yeah. well the nice thing about winning a major championship they can never take that away from you. that's right that's you know? absolutely right <laughs> <laughs> how did that change uh, life for nancy bowen well you know i think people looked at me uh, a lot differently as far as, you know, being able to, to win at that level. And it's a confidence booster for sure. But I really tried hard to stay the same person that I was. I was really concerned about that. I was actually really concerned that the, we had like a two week break and the next tournament we were playing was over in the Pinehurst area and I was really concerned that it was going to be, you know, a flash in the pan that I was, you know, although I never won again, I was really afraid that, you know, maybe I wasn't going to play well ever again. You know, you kind of have those demons. And that next week I played and finished, I think, tied for third. So, you know, that, you know, on top of the win really solidified my my staying power and, and that I felt like I was going to be able to continue playing good mm. golf and you know it, it can it can mess with you if you if you let it yeah. yeah so it wasn't a win but it was your validation wasn't it absolutely absolutely that i wasn't a flash in the pan uh although you know i never won again i also had you know two runner-ups uh yeah. in 1997 so you know I, I was still you know able to continue playing well it just you know i wasn't able to capitalize on a win but you know i still had uh success after afterwards yeah 
So share with us some of your more fun moments uh, out on tour. I, I, you know, when we when we talked briefly yesterday, I, I shared uh, how many stories we've heard just uh, from the Japanese bus rides that yeah. uh, oh, you yeah. guys uh, oh, enjoyed. Right, right. You know, it, it's a, it was a lot of fun. There was a there was a lot of uh, good stories. You know, a lot of them that I'd heard. Uh, you know, things that you don't think about like when I was first playing in the LPGA championship, I was, I remember sitting in the players lounge with Sherry Steinhauer and we were just talking about the day and who we were paired with. And I was paired with Joanne Carter and she's like, have you ever played with her before? And I'm like, no, I've never played with her before. She goes, well, let me just give you a few tips. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness. She goes, well, if she's ever, she likes to stalk her putts. And if you ever watch any film of, of her, she does. She kind of stalks it and looks at it from every angle. She's like, when she's doing that, just freeze. Don't read your putt. Just stay right where you are. Because she, she doesn't like it. She likes to be on stage. And so I'm like, okay. <laughs> so I just remember, and sure enough, she's stalking her putts. And I didn't move. I was uh, terrified. So <laughs> there's a, uh, I mean, Joanne always has a lot of good stories, I think the same uh, and Sherry told me another funny story that she uh Joanne overslept and was coming out to the course and in in a rush she put her shorts on backwards she uh they weren't you know button up they just pulled on and so the rest of the day she her pockets were kind of behind her <laughs> so, oh, um, funny today but, today that would be all over YouTube and oh uh, yeah absolutely yeah. we're we we're thankful that there was no social media when we were playing, right? So, but yeah, you know, we it was a, uh, you know, we had we had a lot of fun out there. Uh, it it is a, uh, I think it was more like a, a sorority in a in a sense. I always called it a traveling high school. Everybody, you know, we traveled together, not you know always on the same flights and things, but you know, it, it's it's like a circus out there with all the luggage that we all have and. Uh, trying to get from place to place and you know there's always things going on and caddy stories and you know one good story I think uh, a player (laughs) she had a caddy and uh, the next day he shows up and he's a little bit late and she's looking at him and she's like I think that's my caddy I'm not really sure (laughs) (laughs) and finally after a while on the range they're getting ready to tee off he hands her a note and the note is from her real caddy. This is her tw- his twin brother is going to caddy for because he wasn't <laughs> oh, feeling well. <laughs> oh my! So there's you know there's things like that are happening just constantly out there. Uh, but it, it's just a lot of fun to have the friendships that we all had and experience the things that we experienced together out there. So Nancy, as a winner at uh, the Dinah Shore, you got to go to. Uh, Japan, correct? Yes, yes. So I have a question for you. Okay. Were you ever in the front bus or the <laughs> rear bus? Well, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, I think it was uh, Val Skinner was kind of uh, – we had a great group of people, Beth Daniel, Meg Mallon, Jane Geddes, Lisa Lott Neumann, and then there was a bunch of us that were rookies, uh, Allison Nicholas, uh, Julie – uh, Piers, Caroline, was, let's see, I can't even remember everybody. But what happened was they told us that we had to perform 
uh, in a talent show, a group, <laughs> and sing. And so, speaking of sorority, right? Yeah. And so, you know, and we, it, it, people were just so funny. I mean, I remember Julie Pierce just saying, "Val, I don't know if we have time to play golf. We've got to work on our song." <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. But uh, but we did. We had to perform over there. Uh, I, I, I want to say we we sang like Crocodile Rock or something crazy like that. And then they made us, uh, when we played in Nashville, the whole group, there was like six of us that were rookies on that Japan tour. We weren't rookies, but we were just rookies over in Japan. Right. And it was just a great group of people. And, you know, they just, they made it fun. And we ended up having to perform at a pro-am party in Nashville uh, with Amy Grant and Vince Gill watching. So, you know, oh. there was a lot of, uh, a lot of fun times that we had together that you know you just don't you don't have unless you do those kinds of trips and yeah. uh, and we were right. we were way down uh, the japanese team already had their champagne ice down in the locker room and we came out and and, and beat them in singles because uh, it was a team tournament and so then it was a lot of fun you know yeah that's you know, great. For, for whatever reason, most of our guests, Bruce, were on the booze bus, weren't they? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know what happened to their champagne. Maybe we ended up with it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the one of our favorite stories, uh, probably Amy Alcott told it, but it was uh, so it might have been a little bit before your time, but uh, yeah, Amy uh, was on the booze bus, the party bus, along oh, with yeah. uh, a lot of others, including Kathy Whitworth, and and there was a karaoke contest. No, and always Kathy, in Japan, yes. And Kathy Whitworth, of course, was the, the one that was left without a partner. So uh -oh. she partnered up with, with Amy Alcott, who, as you probably know, is she was maybe the worst singer on tour. <laughs> At least that's the consensus of the other uh, ladies. Yeah, I, I can't she confirm or singer. deny. Right, <laughs> but their choice—say a word, right? <laughs> their their choice of music, and and I kind of reflected on this. I don't know where I was. I was sitting on this. It just sort of dawned on me that uh, this past year we lose Tina Turner and Kathy Whitworth, two of the greats. Well, do you know what they sang in the karaoke contest as partners? What was that? What's love got to oh do? Oh my with gosh! It? Wow, Tina Turner. How about that? that right, that it is. just kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. Yeah. I, I'm telling you, Amazing. I know that. Well, the karaoke over in Japan is a big deal. Uh, the the Japanese really like karaoke too, so that's uh, kind of probably what spurred that on. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, Japan is a is a lot of fun. It's a it's a good good time. So back uh, back in in competitive play, as you were on the driving range or the practice tee, as they call it these days. Mm -hmm. Who might you stop and watch? Mm. Hear that? That's the sound of a walk-off albatross, a two on a par five to win a two-day golf tournament. That shot happened to me. One in 600 million odds. Since then, people call me Albie. Now, I've told this story so often, my friends can't take it. I'm pretty sure my wife, next time I tell her, she's going to leave me. So I decided to start a podcast to tell the entire world about it because it deserves it. It's the craziest shot you've never heard of. And guess what? There's tons more stories like this all around golf. And that's what our podcast is all about. Join me and my fellow degenerates, Pan 
Amanda and Shepard as we dive into them. Insane bets, crazy what-if scenarios, and all the you-had-to-be-there type moments in golf. Find us wherever you get your podcast. Did I tell you about Malbatross? That's a good question. Uh, I tell you, I enjoyed watching Meg Mallon swing. Meg Mallon had great tempo. And whenever I was paired with her, it was almost, you felt like you were cheating because to be able to watch her swing, you felt like you could swing with that. She just had a great transition in her swing, which I think we all strive for. You always hear that, you know, people that with the quick transition end up hitting it all over the place and she just had a, a great golf swing as uh donna andrews who actually won the, the dinosaur the year before i did we were the same age she played at north carolina while i was at uh, georgia she another one that has a beautiful golf swing that i used to enjoy watching there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of good i mean Kari webb hits a, a great i mean great ball striker mm-hmm. there's just so many uh, there's some that, you know, I wouldn't watch. I mean, even Annika, it was hard for me to watch Annika because of the way she moves her head yeah. out. If, mm-hmm. if I did that, I would come up and out of my shot. So I couldn't watch Annika. But, uh, <laughs> I mean, she's such a great player. And I was paired sure. with her several times. But that's just, that helps her. And if I did that same thing, it wouldn't help me. So uh, I, I knew what to watch for and what not to. But, uh, you know, she's a, obviously one of the, the greatest players. Yeah. out there but so yeah there's some there's some good ones uh, beth daniel great golf swing she's just so tall i can't really <laughs> mm-hmm. i can't generate that uh power but there's there's so many good players uh i think lorena ochoa i watched her one time hitting wedge shots and it was almost like she was landing balls on top of each other it was really incredible her her mm. i mean it's just like one after the other is amazing there's a lot of a lot of good players so take us, uh, sort of bridge the gap from the time you won your major to the time you decided to, it was time to do something else. Well, I was playing a lot of my, a lot of my friends were starting to retire that I, I traveled with. Uh, it became where it, it wasn't as much fun anymore. I didn't feel like I was as competitive. I remember telling my parents one time, <laughs> I said, thinking about retiring and i remember my mom saying yeah i think your best days are behind you (laughs) (laughs) maybe maybe that's an indicator that i should (laughs) i should quit but i just wasn't having fun and i didn't feel competitive and i always said early on i said if i if i wasn't successful by the time i was 30 i was going to do something else and i won when i was 27 and then i said you know once i'm not having fun and didn't feel competitive i was going to stop playing and that's what i did so yeah. i think i was 37 38 when i left and yeah. i mean i still had status to play but i just you know what's the point when you just don't your heart's not into it it's no. not worth being out there right. yeah. and it was hard i mean it's a grind i don't think uh, people understand how hard the travel is and of course, back then, like I said, you're doing all your arrangements. You know, you got to get your car from here to there. You got to do all these crazy things, and it, it, it takes its toll after a while. I think I would have asked my mother, "How long you've been thinking that way?" <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I think she I think she saw the writing on the wall too. Um, <laughs> but you know, that my dad didn't really have a whole lot to say. Yeah, but my mom was a little vocal about that. So that was kind of yeah. funny, but it was, it was fine. It, it was, uh, it was, it was the right time. 
So I had no regrets about it. And Nancy, during that time that you were talking about, uh, I guess for three years you were on the uh, LPGA Tour Players Executive Committee. That had to be an interesting part of your career too. It was. I I was always looking for something else to do. And and so when um, I was voted in, it was, you know, I learned a lot about how the tour operates. It still is crazy how the schedule even comes together once you start thinking about TV and trying not to be up against the men's tournaments. And there's just so much involved. And then certain tournaments, you know, they have their dates that they want. You don't want to be up against a men's, like we, we never play up against the masters. I mean, who's going to sponsor that tournament? Yeah. And you don't want to be up against the men's U S open or any of their majors. So that's, you know, so the scheduling is very difficult and certain courses, you know, they have their own stuff going on that they, they, you know, they want to keep their tournaments, you know, that they have. So it, it's always, uh, always found the, the, um, the scheduling to be quite a challenge to watch how it all comes together. And also, you know, there's always going to be players that are going to break the rules and, <laughs> you know, that's always a challenge too. And so we have to, to deal with that. And I remember we were, th- this is a, an interesting one. When I was on the committee, the U S open still, everybody went off a of number one and uh, I don't know, Bruce, if when you were playing, I mean, you always teed off number one. So there's not a split T. And we were arguing with the, the USGA that y'all got to split T to get these rounds in because you've got 156 players, which yeah. is more than the 144 that we have every week. And we can't get everybody around. It's, number one, it's in the summer. You're probably going to have a thunderstorm. Good chance. Yeah. Number two, if there's a ruling, you backed up the entire golf course. And so they, their argument was, we want everybody to play the golf course the way it was laid out and how it's supposed to be played. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry that whoever's teeing off at seven and the person teeing off at two thirty are not seeing the same golf course. No, and finally, we got them to agree to split tee. So that was a, that was that was always been a, a thorn in my side with the USGA is you know because. And they always, they hardly ever would finish, you know, getting everybody around before they made the cut. So that was, I felt like we did accomplish something there as a, as an executive committee. Good. Well, that had to be an interesting stint being on that. Uh, Tell us about the transition leaving the game of golf. Was it easy, difficult? It was difficult. It's, uh, (laughs) it's still difficult today uh, because it's your identity for so long. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, even today, sometimes I think about what do I really want to do? But it it has given me an opportunity to do lots of different things. In the you know, I've worked in golf shops. I've taught golf. I have uh, you know been around golf a lot in that atmosphere. And then I had a chance to be an athletic director, which was definitely like being a fish out of water, but I had an opportunity. I I was a athletic director for a short period of time at a, a a women's college in Macon, Georgia called Wesleyan. And it was one of the first uh, colleges that would grant degrees for women. So I went there and what I found out is a division three school, which is, is really 
uh, a challenge in itself because there's no scholarships. But Mm -hmm. it was, you know, I learned that the academic world is uh, not something that, you know, I'm used to being able to get things done and you just can't get anything done in that atmosphere. I mean, zero. And I was, I was very frustrated. I even went and talked to the faculty and uh, addressed them about how important women's sports were for, for young women and for them to help me out. You know, like I would, I was having practices at 6 a.m. so they wouldn't miss class, but they wouldn't help me out when we had to travel and they would miss class. I mean, it was a, I just went round and round and I'm like, you know, <laughs> this is not for me because yeah. I just, I felt like I could, I felt like a hamster on the wheel and I could never seem to get anything accomplished, but <laughs> I learned a lot. I learned what I did want to do. I didn't yeah. want to manage people. Uh, that's yeah. for sure. But, uh, it was fun. I, I, I did meet some wonderful people and, uh, I, I met a, a good friend, Jamie Kaplan, who was a, t- a professional tennis player and she now runs the Kevin Brown, Russell Henley, uh, a charity golf tournament in Macon. They they raise like a million dollars every year for charities in Macon. So another bulldog, Russell Henley. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. Well, you had another interesting venture, and and you you think about the preparation you had. Of course, Bruce Devlin went from master plumber as a young man <laughs> to podcaster. Ah. Right. Right. But but you at least went from journalism major. Right, right. Yeah. And and you had a stint as, as podcasting, golf-related, calls right. all things golf. I think that's something Bruce and I would be really curious to hear about. Right. It was a lot of fun. Uh, uh, a group contacted me to do it, and so I, I went out there and, you know, and you know, I had a lot of contacts in golf and a lot of different ones. I didn't want to just do the run of the mill, so I, I you know, I uh, I did a, a caddy. I had a caddy on there. I did Nancy Lopez. I did Amy Alcott. Uh, let's see. I uh, was able to get um, players that, you know, that were, that had an interesting story to tell. Like Nicole Jaray has narcolepsy. And I used to travel some with her on the mini tour. And so we, we talked about what that was like for her to, I mean, that's a, a horrible thing to, to feel like you could go to sleep at any second. So, and the, and the drugs that she, she had, uh, uh, you know, I was able to talk to just different people in, in the sport, uh, a tournament director, like I said, and also a tournament official, uh, one of our officials. So, you know, it was just, it was fun to reconnect with these people and just kind of give a, a different perspective on, on things. Uh, it was, it was a lot of work and a lot of preparation, but, uh, uh, unfortunately the guy that was kind of heading all up, uh, he, he was suffering from some illness and passed away. So we just, it, it kind of, uh, drifted away after that, but it was fun. I learned a lot. So, mm. um, well, you're, you're maybe the only, only guest out of 82 that we've had that really That's has right. an appreciation for what goes into doing oh my these, goodness. right? It's, yeah. it's a lot of work. Yes, it is. Because you, you've got to do your research. You don't want to, you know, you, you want to ask in, interesting questions. Yeah. Well, I guess for, from Bruce and I's perspective, we just want to make sure we do you and your careers justice. Yeah. Well, I think y'all are doing it from what I've heard uh, from these other uh, interviews that y'all have done and y'all are doing a fantastic job. And I think that it's really kind of cool what y'all are doing. Well, tell us about what you're up to now, because uh, we had an interesting conversation about the certification you got back about six years ago and the sort of work that that's led to. 
Right. Well, I, I decided, you know, I was, again, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I'm, I'm always interested in nutrition and uh, health. And as we get older, obviously, we're, we look more into that. So I, I decided to get a health coaching certification. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot about, you know, how that affects everybody and how a lot of what happens is, you know, obviously within your mind, I also got a, a, a certification under my sports psychologist and their golf psych program that that has kind of the two are combined and even now I've evolved to to you know just a mental shift in the way we think and what we say to ourselves every day so I've really enjoyed just that kind of you know part of my life and just helping people get healthier you know even myself you know we all we all have our downfalls and uh things that we like to indulge in whether it's alcohol or uh foods that probably aren't in our best interest but you know it's, it's really fun to help people and and see people uh thrive and, and feel good and you know uh, most players on the tour now avail themselves of people like yourself who uh provide a holistic approach to wellness uh, yeah. it's mental, right. it's, it's, it's nutrition, it's physical health and so forth. And, uh, I'm sure that Patty Sheehan would have benefited from your services had you been in practice in 1990 when she was melting <laughs> down in the heat at Atlanta athletic club right. in the U S mm-hmm. open against Betsy King. Right. Right. It's interesting. Yes. Uh, because you know, it's definitely nutrition has evolved over the years and it continues to evolve as we learn more and more. But back then, you know, we had hydration, but now it's even better than it was yeah. back then. And we know more about the foods that we eat and how it affects our bodies and our performance, especially for athletes. And, and there's, you know, golf specific, you need something different than, you know, a tennis player would need. And so, you know, it, it and that also goes into exercise, golf specific exercises now uh, where, you know, back mm-hmm. when we were in college, I think it was, we were working out like football players would, Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a lot different. The stretching, a lot more stretching now. Yeah, so. yeah. I mean, as Patty shared that story with us, it was the thirty-six hole final, as you probably remember, right? In the heat of Georgia, which even for a Georgian seemed hot, right? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I remember. Uh, unfortunately, I missed the cut by one there. So, uh, but we had, you know, uh, it was it was very hot. We had the, I think the weather delays is because of the thirty-six holes. But yeah, it was. Um, it was a challenge and it always is a challenge to play in the heat. There's a, there's some players that really, really struggled in the heat and, and some that thrived in it. And most of the time I didn't have a problem with it just cause I grew up in it today yeah. is a different story. <laughs> I don't yeah, play, how about it? Uh, like it as much, but I'd much rather play in the heat than the cold any day of the week. Yeah. yeah. Well, in that 1990 uh, ladies U S open, that was a, uh, 36-hole final in that heat. Patty Sheehan loses an 11-shot lead. Uh, mm-hmm. And as she looks back on it, because thankfully two years later she won her first U.S. Open, but she looks back right. on it and says, you know, I didn't know how to manage my body and my nutrition, my, my caloric intake, uh, hydration, none of that. We didn't know any of that right. stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And now you, you don't see that now. Uh, it's certainly not going to be because of nutrition. I don't think that people – it's more of a – the, the voices in your head that mine, keep mine. you from not playing well. <laughs> <laughs> so Nancy, you also, uh, you also have a charity golf event that carries your name. Yes. Right. We, uh, 
down in Tifton. We uh, it's the Nancy Bunch charity uh, golf event. It's uh, it raises money for hospice and oncology services. So uh, a lot of people know that hospice, what hospice does uh, at the end of life, but the oncology services is the part that I really like is that we provide transportation for people that need to get uh, to their chemo appointments or radiation appointments. It all started uh, with a, a guy that came in. It was really, really cold out, and he had a very thin jacket on, and so the nurses you know, ended up buying him a jacket. And so we're like, well, you know, we want to be able to raise funds so that those types of things don't happen. And so, mm. uh, matter of fact, I was there with my mother uh, for an appointment, and I saw a taxi drive up, and I asked the nurse in a, if uh, that was paid for, and she said yes. Yeah. So I saw it in action while I was with my mom uh, there. So it's, it's done some really good things in the community, and it's the biggest fundraiser for hospice. So we're, we're really pleased that um, – how we've done there and it's a small town so it's hard to raise money in a in a town that doesn't have a lot of industry or anything to to pull from yeah well speaking uh for a couple of cancer survivors uh, we appreciate your efforts that's right y'all are looking awfully good (laughs) (laughs) feeling good too so before we uh before we wrap up nancy uh, as you may know we always ask our guests three final questions, and I always let my partner go first. Okay. <laughs> you have the tea, Mr. Devlin. That's all right. So, Nancy, uh, with all your great experience of playing golf, if you were to have known what you know now back when you started on the tour, what would you have done differently? Gosh, yeah, my hindsight's twenty twenty, and we get – so much wiser as we get older, but I would definitely, there would be a, a mindset shift in how I, I talk to myself and how I approached everything. It would just be a, a lot more positive all the way around. We've heard a lot about self-talks from our yes. other guests. <laughs> so those you voices lot, in your head. <laughs> you have a lot of those, don't you? All right. We're going to give you one career mulligan. Where do you take it? It would be in Portland at the Safeway Classic in 1999. I double bogeyed the last hole. It cost me about 50 grand. So if I could play that hole over again, I think I would take it there. Bruce, that didn't take long, did it? <laughs> no, it didn't take long. <laughs> so the last one. How would you like Nancy Bowen to be remembered? Oh, gosh. Uh, a, a kind, generous person that... Uh, love life and had a good sense of humor and is always willing to help and give back. Uh, that's a, that's a great answer, Nancy. Let me, uh, let me just say, uh, from my standpoint, it's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. We thank you for your time and all your insights into not only yourself, but your game of golf and, and uh, where you are today. Well, it's been my pleasure and I am, I'm really uh, looking forward to hearing more interviews that y'all are doing. I think what y'all are doing is is so much fun, and I'm so glad that it's going to be in the USGA home forever and that people can look back and and see it. So thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of For the Good of the Game. And please, wherever you listen to your podcast on Apple and Spotify, if you like what you hear, please subscribe, spread the word. 
and tell your friends. Until we tee it up again, for the good of the game, so long, everybody. Whack down the fairway. It went smack down the fairway. Then it started to slice just a smidge off line. It headed for two, but it bounced off nine. My caddy says, long as you're still in the state, you're okay. Yes, it went straight down the middle, quite a way.